Hey, everybody, and welcome to week 39 of 52 Weeks of Empowerment. I am Andrea Bagnosi, your host. I am also a career empowerment coach who is fiercely dedicated to getting everyone in 2022 to realizing their true career potential. Many years ago, I worked for an individual who hired me based on a job description that I don't think he ever read in the beginning was onboarded. It seemed like we really clicked. The opportunity to work with him was the right decision for me at that point in my career. I was in learning and development. And so there's a lot of different ways you can interpret what a trainer should be doing in a corporate environment. We worked almost exclusively on organizational work. So onboarding and orienting new hires. And I had been an instructional. The interview was very cut and dry. It was very tied to the job description that I applied to expectations were set and confirmed. And then at my 90-day checkpoint, the feedback that I received was probably the worst feedback I ever received in my career. Or I've chosen to look at it by shifting my mindset as a growth mindset to believing that it was the best feedback I ever got, but it was not at all based on the job description or the qualifications he hired for. He was evaluating me based on things we had never discussed. And it was also the quickest turnaround I ever had at a company, but pivotal moments in my career when I said, and I learned from that point on, I will never take a job again without fully clarifying what I am supposed to be doing in my career and how I'm going to be measured and evaluated for it. And I know that many of you are out there feeling somewhat the same way, the pandemic has shifted a lot of people's jobs and people are taking on work that they never anticipated they would, even still two years after the inception of COVID and really understanding that job descriptions may be very clear, but the expectations to deliver upon them may be something else. And that's a defined conversation we're going to have today about setting expectations. There is no room for interpretation. Make them clear, follow them, and as a leader, work towards them. I have asked a very special guest to join us today, who is all about the growth mindset in a corporate environment. She is an experienced corporate executive who inspires corporations to create a culture that is grounded in a growth mindset to enhance the power of their teams and to achieve better outcomes. She's the proprietor and lead coach of Empower Hers. I am thrilled to welcome a dear friend and colleague, Ellen Miller. Thank you so much for having me, Andrea. I am so excited to be here today and to get to be with you is just fantastic. Love it. I had to share that very personal intro because I'm hearing it probably for the last year I've heard it, but I'm continuing to hear it. That's a concern for me. We'll get to that in a moment, but one of the biggest reasons why I felt that this was going to be a great topic. This is your jam. When you go into corporations, it's all about growth mindset. This is a huge opportunity to grow and to learn. So I'm excited to hear how you've grown and learned in your career. I know you're an experienced corporate leader yourself, a woman in an environment that's typically not, women were not in that field. So tell us a little bit about your journey to coaching. Yeah, well, uh, thanks for the wonderful intro. And it's been an interesting, as you said, journey in regards to how I've come to where I am today and started out in my career actually at, at the, like we call it at the bottom of the ladder. And over a period, I would say of, you know, 25 years or more, I um, ended up moving forward in 
the energy industry in jobs that were, well, I would say companies that were predominantly had male leaders in them because that's just the way it was in the culture. And I moved up within the organization and there were many times when the expectations were ambiguous. I think that was a really great intro when you talked about really understanding the expectations because a, a lot of times you were given a job description, this is what we want you to do, but the unexpected would always come along and it'd be like, well, this is actually what we need now. And I think understanding how do you, one, look at what do you think the expectations are and then get that quantified or qualified by whoever is leading you is really, really important. So I went through my career, I would say a lot of times trying to really clarify for myself what are the expectations. And when I could really grab onto a higher level goal, like what is the actual goal the company is trying to make? That's where I really tapped into, okay, how does, how do I fit into that? And then how can I make sure that I'm going to help the company achieve its goals? overall and really trying to set some of my own expectations for myself and what I wanted to achieve. And I think it can be difficult, especially as you get a higher level leadership positions, because no one is actually going to set your expectations. I mean, that's your job as a leader. It's like you now, you know, the overarching corporate goals, but it's your job now to say, okay, how are you going to reach them? And then flip side is how do you start setting expectations for the people that work for you? or report to you. I hate to say work for because it's really a partnership, but how do you set the expectations for the people that are working with you? And with that, what I've learned and in my journey, you know, I left that corporate setting for a while. I went and got certified as a coach. What I've learned is what's really important is just not setting an expectation. Probably even more important is making a connection. Yeah. Connecting with the person so that when you are establishing expectations. It's a two-way conversation. It's not top down. It's let's talk about what are the expectations that they have and what are the expectations that you have and how do you make a connection between the two so that they feel that they have purpose and that they have autonomy, maybe perhaps that's really important to them, or they're part of a team if that's important to them. And then it's that idea of if you can establish the connection, setting some expectations, and then layering on top of this idea, like, what do you need to learn then the growth mindset piece of what do you need to learn in order to enable you to get to this level of performance that's going to lead to you to actually, you know, meeting your own potential. I couldn't agree more. I think you just, you nailed it. I find that as I start to work with clients that have been part of this mass exodus, this great resignation. The biggest reason initially for turnover in their head was that the role had changed somehow along the way. It was more placed upon the expectations weren't clear. And as we start to peel back the layers of the onion, it does come down to, did you connect with your direct report manager? Did you connect with the culture that you were within? And in many instances, the culture, it was very ambiguous to use your term, which I think is a great one, because they were trying to find themselves throughout COVID. They weren't prepared for that transition. There were all these excuses, but what it really came down to was the connectivity between the leaders that were not set up for success during COVID and the actual people who reported to them. So that's a really, really important call out. Why is it that organizations and cultures are not able to convey expectations or come into expectations that they're looking for? And it's so ambiguous. What's the disconnect there? 
Well, it's kind of something I'm really interested in researching because, um, you know, for me, I think you can have a mindset even at the corporate level. Is the corporate level really demonstrating like a fixed mindset culture where they perhaps think that these expectations are pretty clear in their minds, right? It's always a perception, right? Mm -hmm. A percept, their own perception is influencing how they communicate. So if they perceive that the expectations are clear and yet the people underneath are like, this is ambiguous. We don't understand exactly what's going on. And we don't have enough information to make that connection between what they are seeing as a larger goals. That can just be a fixed mindset at the corporate level. Like, oh, well, we know what the goals are. Obviously everybody else should. And they're not thinking about what else can I do or what else do I need to communicate to enable our people then to really own and understand our expectations of them in a way that resonates with them, right? Mm -hmm. So we've all seen it. I think you've seen it. You have corporate missions and you have corporate values and you have corporate vision mission values, right? I think that's the three, right? We want to talk about. But a lot of times those aren't resonating with people at a lower level. And so... It's really understanding how do you take those things, create your goals and objectives at a, at a senior level in the organization, and then enable people, your managers, your directors, to really understand what does this mean for me and my organization? Mm -hmm. And how do I start setting expectations about performance, right? Whether it's performance as a team or performance as an individual, what does that mean? But I think it's really more important, Andrea, to even think beyond expectations, because a lot of people consider expectations equal success. Mm -hmm. If we make the expectation, it means you're going to be successful. Well, you and I know counting on an outcome can be very difficult because there's a lot of things that happen. No one would have expected a pandemic when goals were being set in 2020. No five-year plans were being put into place. No one would have expected a pandemic was going to come along. And it was going to shift the workforce and really have a huge impact. So then you have to almost say like, okay, so how do we help people understand expectations, but at the same time, give them some flexibility to look at it as a growth opportunity, trying to achieve these expectations, and then also figure out if it's something's not working, you have an environment to say, what isn't working? Why aren't we able to meet these goals? Or even why aren't why are you struggling with this goal? Like, what is it? These open-ended questions. What is it that's making it really hard for you to meet this expectation that we have in this particular role and really drill down into for that person? What is it that's holding them back? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's where the growth mindset comes in. I mean, that's all about like, oh, I'm not going to just put you in a fixed mindset. Well, well, you don't have, the, you can't do this. Your performance, you're not meeting my expectations. This means you can't do it. Maybe they need more training. Maybe they need something else. Accountability. Maybe you have an expectation, but you don't hold them accountable. Perhaps they have an expectation. You're not holding them responsible. So mm -hmm. what is it behind why they're not meeting the expectation that you can address? I shared my experience at the start of the program, and that was exactly what the issue was. When you interview with companies, they're very good about telling you what their values and their mission or their credo is. There's stuff printed on the walls, or they send you paraphernalia that talks about how great it is to be a part of the company, and they really sell you on the concept. You are beholden to this job description, as I said, and I went into it asking all the right questions, but the part that I left out was this was a newer manager. 
This was somebody who had been promoted recently through the company, which I thought was great. That's always a really good sign that there's promotion, there's growth from within. And I accepted the position expecting he knew his job. Unfortunately, there was no training for him, as I would later find out. And now have dedicated consulting years to it. I see that to your point about a trickle-down philosophy, the people closest to the business should be helping to inform the expectations of the organization and really being that litmus test of determining whether the goals and objectives are the right ones, let alone attainable. But it really comes down to that sort of two-way communication. There was not that. So how do you work with organizations to shift that mindset and enable that sort of growth mentality? One of the things that I found is, first of all, it sounds simple, but under having organizations understand what is a fixed mindset, what is a growth mindset, and how does it manifest itself in people and in organizations? A lot of times when I'm doing presentations, I talk a little bit about Daniel Kahneman's book, he of Thinking Fast and Slow. And he had a theory around the fact that you can have a way that you think, system one thinking, that is around, you know, someone comes to you with a problem and your first response is, I'm going to help them, mm-hmm. right? You're going to solve it here you go. It's not much work because you already know the answer. You've done it a thousand times. And your answer is, here you go, go do this. Mm -hmm. You're all set. See you next time you have a problem. That's symptom one. It's just really fast. It can, another example would just be if you ever put something down and you weren't really thinking about where you put it, just symptom one, your brain says, put something down, you put it down. You're not even thinking about it. And then later you say like, what the heck did I do with that? I don't even know what I did with that. I may have to go back and really think about it. System two thinking is more conscious thinking. And it's when we actually step back and we say to ourselves, okay, how do I actually want to respond to someone who comes to me and says, maybe there's someone who doesn't even meet your expectations. This is, I have a problem and, and this is my, this is my challenge. And if you're a person that likes to help people, if you're a leader who likes to solve problems, your first inclination without even being conscious of it is to fix it. Mm -hmm. So you have to actually, you know, I help leaders understand that you have to actually step back, be conscious of the action you're going to take, and then be ready to listen and understand what is their problem, but then also ask the questions that make them accountable for coming up with solutions. When I can make this point to leaders, they get this aha moment about how many times am I fixing people's problems? And when you ask a lot of leaders and organizations, they'll say, I spend a lot of time. My people come to me all the time with questions. They don't know what to do. They have my advice. Well, of course they do because mm-hmm. for them, it's the easiest answer to the answer, but you're, you're limiting that person, right? You're limiting the person coming to you with a problem. You're not allowing them to have a growth mindset. You're limiting yourself because you're keeping yourself where you currently are, which is, I know how to manage. I can manage this, but you're not leading. The experience that I had with the example I shared was the person had just been promoted. So they had had my job just a blink of an eye ago. So anytime I had fire, he was doing the put it out for me. He wasn't letting me grow. The questions he asked during the interview were really interesting because they were very enterprising questions. We want you to bring your ingenuity and your innovation and a different mindset. But all the times I ever tried to implement that and give them a different way of thinking of something, he would say things like, that's not not the way we do it here. No, let me handle this. No, you're set. Work on this. And then the feedback he gave me at that 90-day checkpoint was you're not 
enterprising. You're not innovative. Well, you're not letting me be. So he was saying one thing, doing the other. And what he was really doing was my job because he was so familiar with doing it. So I hear you completely with that. I'm a very close friend who's been in leadership development for many years, and he's on the training side, not on the coaching side. And if I had a dime for every time I've used this quote, he would be a rich man because I'd be paying him <laughs> for it. It's so great. He's If you've got a dollar to spend on training, spend it on your frontline managers because they're going to be the one that hold people accountable to expectations and communicate it. And then also be that devil agent that communicates back to leadership senior in the organization as to what's going on in their market or their situation. Do you believe that that's true? Well, yes, a really interesting thought to spend that training money on your frontline leadership. To me, when I think about training or I think about opportunities for people, I tend to take a more holistic view and say, focus on help your supervisor learn how to focus on the person that they're managing, understanding what they want. Do they want to be promoted? Are they happy where they are? Do they want to learn something new? Understand the person and then take those training dollars and allocate them where they're going to get the most growth for their organization. You can have people who you really want to grow in any organization. You see something in them that is like, man, if we can just get this person some training and some, you know, more skill sets, they could be fantastic. That person may be thinking, I don't want to go anywhere. I'm happy where I am. I like what I'm doing. I'm not interested. So it's a two-way street. So you have to understand, like, even if someone's really talented, if they're not ready, if they don't have a growth mindset, if they're not there yet, they're limited internally. They're limiting themselves. There's nothing that you as a supervisor can do. And if you really push it, you're not going to be successful because at the end of the day, it's their choice. They're in control of their choices and they'll make choices to make them feel comfortable. They want to be in their comfort zone. So Mm -hmm. the idea is to do the assessment as a frontline manager. Yes, I agree. Spend a lot of money on managing your people, Give, but give your supervisors also that tool to understand how do you assess and manage people as people, not just train to get to an outcome, but train to make a connection, to enhance their mindsets and to allow them to grow and eventually move up. The real challenge for supervisors to think, I'm going to train someone to move on. My gosh, then I'll have to train somebody else. But good supervisors know it's important to train people up so they can move on. That was a big reason why in the 2000s, companies started to steer away from those continuing education dollars because they were finding they were spending a lot of money in investment and people were taking that money, getting the education and parlaying that into something better somewhere else. So it was like money wasted. As people are starting to migrate back to a workplace, there has been a tendency that I'm finding, which is a really positive trend of people reinvesting in people and meeting them where they're at, to your point, really digging into finding out, hey, what does your career path look like? Or what would you want it to look like? What are those next steps? Where are you struggling in your current role? And how can we make you the very best you can be at that role? So I'm excited to see that happening. Although I think we have a ways to go with that. I'm hearing a trend in our conversation. I'm hearing connection. I'm hearing clear, concise communication about expectations. And I'm hearing communication needs to be a two-way street. So how do leaders initiate those conversations with their people? That's a great question. I just talked to some people about this the other day. And actually what it really starts with is listening. And that's one of the hardest things for leaders to do is to sit and just listen. 
David Raw is a great author, and he also is in the Neuroscience Leadership Institute. And he has this concept of listening circles, where you bring people together as a leader and you don't say anything. Your job is not to talk, not to give a motivational speech. It's just to listen to what people have to say and really acknowledge and validate their thoughts. And then start there with, okay, now you're getting a better understanding of what you know their mindset is as a leader. You can start then at that point thinking about what kind of conversation do you want to have in your organization? And I'm talking conversation in a broadly. Conversation can be like, what actions do we want to take from communication level? What actions do we want to take with like in-person meetings or regional meetings? How are we going to train our managers to make more connection with our people and teach them the skills to make connections? It doesn't occur naturally for a lot of people. This idea of like, how do I connect with people? Some people think that's like kind of woo-woo to really engage your people. There's one thing I just wanted to add to our conversation is that humans want connection. They need connection as part of being human. We are looking for, when you and I talked about um, recently about tribes, people want a sense of connection. And when you can define for people this connection or help them, I would even say, feel a connection within your organization, you'll help retain people, Mm -hmm. right? And connection is based on the idea of a shared sense of purpose. It's a sense of belonging and it's a level of trust. And when you have purpose, belonging, and then you layer on, these are our expectations for organization, then that's when you really open up. There's a lot of opportunities to grow in the organization or grow the company for that matter. We all are coming together and we're going to achieve it together. The collective is so important in organizations today. I think that is another thing that's sorely missing from companies where expectations have not been clear is that, and you said it earlier so well, at the top, it makes perfect sense. We know what the expectations are. We know what the goals are. However, as it trickles down, it becomes more watered down. There's less consistency to the message. Instead of every layer having the same message, it gets muted. It gets diluted somehow. Why do you think that happens? Well, I mean, it can be just the pure mechanics of it. And some of it is if you don't have a performance management system in place, you know, an out-of-the-box solution, or it's a more manual process, like the idea is like executives, they have objectives to meet. Let's be honest. They have perhaps even shareholder goals that are trying to be met. They have a larger five-year plan that they're trying to execute on. In a performance management system, you hire that higher level of goals. And then you start as the layers go down in management, you always make sure that the goals that are being established align with the higher level objectives. So in my case, a lot of times, just from my experience, what I would say is like, okay, if I need to have X amount of investment in capital projects, I would then define that within my performance management system for each of my managers saying, okay, this is your allocation. This is your responsibility for investment. I mean, I had three directors at the time and we give the three areas that they'd have to have the goal. We'd all share it. It was a shared goal. This is what we have to achieve. And then I would say to them, you need to cascade this down to your people and be very specific about now what are their projects that they have to deliver on? And it would all align. Everything would align all the way up to the top goal so that we could be successful. If there's not that cascading effect in alignment of goals, then it does become very ambiguous because people aren't sure of what is the goal? What is the vision? Was part of a conversation recent where a leader asked for input on what do you want to hear about in our next meeting? And you want 
a majority of people said, we want to hear about the, the vision, the mission and our goals for the next year. Cause they want to know what is, what's the vision? Where are we going? What, what do you need us to do as a collective? And I think that's just so important to make, like you said, to make it real at the, at the upper level, but then have to make sure that alignment is there. Yeah. What's your role in the process and where are we going? Give us some guideposts and identification of where we're headed. That's critically important today. I do feel that the people that have left organizations and said roles weren't clear. It was also that the runway wasn't, we, I'm not sure whether we're going right or left or forward or back, or where are we going and how are we investing? I'm a stockholder of the company. I'm clearly a stakeholder as well. Let me in on the process. Let me be part of the process. Part of the process. That's something I want to zero in on. We sort of touched upon it earlier. I want to dig into that just a tad here. Shared goals in organizations. Clearly, the executive board sets the course for the vision forward, year ahead, so forth. But the strategies to deliver upon those are usually done at lower levels because every team has different deliverables to contribute to the greater good, as you said, at Cascades. How do you initiate conversations at those lower levels in such a way that they feel like they're part of the process? How do you invite them in? Yeah. So as you're looking at, and I would always say the people that work for me were much brighter than me. <laughs> I was great at like, yo, here's our goals. Now tell me how we're going to do it because you guys know the answers and I'm just here to try to support you. That's, that's part of the recipe. You know, you know what the goals are, but you also recognize that you're not the expert. Many leaders, we're not the expert. We are the people that somehow we had the skills to get to a leadership position, but more importantly, we probably had skills and we had great people. The empowerment really comes from, listen, this is the goal. What I really need your input in is how are we going to get there? People have a real input on the how. The interesting part of your response to my question, millennials don't do well in that environment, is what I'm hearing from leaders that I coach. How do I reach my millennials? Because they want to be given the keys to the castle. They don't want to have to figure out how to get in. They don't want to devise those things because we haven't really set them up for success. Their whole lives, we've been handing them. Everybody gets a medal. We plan the play dates and, and all of these things have been given to them. They've not really had to fend for themselves. How do you reach multi-generational workforces that are currently in play when not everybody operates with the same mindset? How do you meet them where they're at? I'm just using millennials as an example because that's often asked of me as a coach. It's a really interesting time because I think people have very strong opinions and they different demographics in their belief systems that they feel don't align either with what needs to get done or a belief system, or even our own assumptions about their capabilities. And so we start having our own beliefs. And, you know, to your point, right, I do hear a lot about, well, the millennials and millennials. Well, to me, I'm like, what better opportunity is it then to take these millennials and have them start adopting a growth mindset and explaining that to them? And I read Carol Dweck's book, Growth Mindset, great book to read. It's, she has a lot of studies on it about young children and, and uh, mindset and education, but it's really applicable to adults too. If you've been told your entire life that somebody else has to make your decisions for you. You can adopt a fixed mindset. And it's really then our superpower maybe as, as managers and, and uh, supervisors is to explain to people, actually, I believe in you and you may not know this, but you can learn it and you can be successful and you can 
actually achieve great potential. Also, I think what's really important is we focus a lot on goals, but we don't really talk too much about core competencies. Really, when you're talking to people and, and trying to develop them and you have people that perhaps are coming to you and saying, well, I think I'm ready. Pulling out core competencies is really important to say, well, this. let's talk about these core competencies. How do you communicate? Tell me how you're leading others. What's your ability to influence outcomes? And when you start talking about core competencies, that's a whole different conversation that really gets to not necessarily a number or a, a specific deliverable. It gets to them, their, who they are, where are you on these core competencies and what do you need to do to improve your competencies in order to be ready? If you've always been told you're great, you're fantastic, you're a winner. It goes back to what you were saying about performance management. Those core competencies have to be there intrinsically. When you're bringing somebody into an organization, even prior to that, if you're able to really share it, this is how we evaluate people. This is how we're going to invest in you. This is how we're going to cultivate your environment. This is what you're going to get from us in return. This is what we're looking for. Really kind of translating the core competencies up front, the core values first. And then when they get in the door, how their individual roles ladder up to those core values. Things should be met and discussed and conferred with and calibrated on a regular basis, not just the annual review time. That's why annual review time is such a bear because no one likes to do it because they've saved a whole year of feedback for this one block of time. And that's not how it should be. Core competencies should be reviewed really at every touch point, but more formally, quarterly at least, to help calibrate, hey, are we on track with our goals? Are you clear with what those goals are? Holding people accountable to them is important, but helping to gauge where can I help this person succeed is a really important discussion to have. You're absolutely right. There are some old school, it's not just the millennials, but there's a lot of generations in the workforce right now. There's some old school, rip the bandage off and one fell swoop type leaders that give that feedback that demoralize and demotivate people. How do you going into corporations, and having worked with corporations, how do you level set the playing field so that the feedback loops are growth-minded, success-oriented, and really focused discussions so that they're not demotivating and they actually inspire people to succeed? That's a great question. And I have to tell you, it does really, in my experience, it really is, it's in the hands of the, in the leaders of how to work with people and communicate to them in a way that they understand and enables them to come up with solutions to actually get to the level of performance that's needed. But I want to step back a second because some of the most rewarding work I've ever done, and that's in corporations, talking with other leaders, is around trying to ground people in communicating as leaders, not as managers. Management is this idea of, I have to go from A to B, Here's the five steps I have to manage through this process and I get to an outcome. Management 101. Leadership is inspiring, motivating your workforce so that they actually achieve the results that you want. Not because you're 
hammering them every day, but because you're inspiring them, you believe in them, they see your vision, they see the sense of purpose they're bringing to their work, and they feel connected and engaged. I think that's really important as we look at like, how do you ensure that you're giving feedback in a way that doesn't deflate them, but motivates them where they see the opportunity as opposed to a failure. I do a lot of sessions on failure, right? Reframing failure. Everybody fails. I don't know about you, you, but I know I've failed. How can I learn from this? What am I learning? We did uh, two slides. I would do this with my teams. I haven't done it recently, but it's one of the tools I've, I use and have shared with other people. It's at, at two, two slides and it's in four quadrants and people get 10 minutes to talk about an issue that they've had. Five minutes is one on what, what happened. They get five minutes to talk about what they're going to do to fix it. And it's really great exercise because it makes them really focus in on what actually happened, not who's to blame, not whose fault it is or organization or department, what actually happened? What are the facts? And now what are the actions you need to do differently going forward? And it's a great exercise for people to kind of get away from like, how do we improve instead of ruminating on what went wrong or there was a failure? What I love about that is it is such a forward thinking problem solving skill that you're helping the entire team builds their confidence. It builds their sense of community because we're all being taught how to do something the same way. Somebody is brave enough. Actually, it seems like everybody is brave enough to step forward in a safe environment and say, hey, I didn't fail because I tried but there's something to be learned here. And I want to share it with you because I want to see you succeed as well. It's a collective community of learning. I love that. That is such an important way to to go about doing that. Bravo. I'm hearing the following. The first step is to connect and to seek to understand how people discern the goals, the objectives, their role in the process and the expectations of how they'll be measured. I hear set those expectations up front and clarify again that people periodically are doing well with it, that nothing has changed. If something has changed, communicate that effectively. I get checkpoints to hold people accountable and to determine is coaching or training needed. Provide actionable feedback along the way and motivate as you measure. What else to understand is the, the perfect recipe for setting expectations and seeing them come to fruition in the corporate environment. I think you hit on it, but I think it's worth underscoring key performance indicators, KPIs. I mean, that's a, that's a well-known acronym in corporate America and it's how performance is measured. And so it's understanding like, you know, who's setting the KPIs? Is it, is it at the executive level? And then how do you break those KPIs down in your performance management so that that can kind of roll up overall to hitting the the final target. There's a lot that goes into performance management. This is a great conversation. I mean, there's different types. There's financial performance, there's operational performance, there's professional development performance. So there's a lot of different aspects and a lot of different reporting that can go on. But to your point, I think earlier, one of the most important things is, is to measure it, report out on it, motivate people, help them understand why it's important for them and for the organization to hit these targets. Most importantly, anybody can be a leader. You don't have to have an executive title to be a leader. Take your power and motivate and inspire people to adopt a growth mindset. They can meet these larger goals. They do have the ability to work as an organization as a whole, to join together and deliver is really, really important. 
I appreciate what you just said. One of the mindsets that I've always had in terms of growth as a training lead or as a consultant or as a coach is that people see one, do one, teach one. You observe somebody or presentation or you're part of a project team that experiences the growth. Then you conduct it, you do it in a group setting and have a discussion about it, kind of like you shared what went wrong, what have you learned from it, exercise. And then you teach one back is such an important part that people don't really connect with. That's where the sustainable learning comes from is what have you learned from What are you going to do differently as a result? What can I as a leader hold you accountable to or help to coach that you may be working on personally to be better at problem solving or to be better at strategic planning or to be better at financial, uh, you know, efficiencies. I, I, would love to connect you with people who are looking to sharpen their skills in this. How can people work with you, Ellen? They can go to my website, which is www.ellenempowers.com. I'm on LinkedIn, Ellen Miller. You can also check me out on LinkedIn under Empowers and connect with me there. And as well, I'm on Instagram. So Ellen Empowers, yeah, happy to connect with people. This is like, I'm really passionate about the idea of combining growth mindset with organizational development. And that includes like, how do we lead organizations and how do we empower organizations to actually meet, achieve their desired outcomes based on empowering people at all levels of the organization. And that's why you are on 52 Weeks of Empowerment. We need to empower people to do this. Three quarters of the years pass with a looming recession and the possibility for companies to shunt their growth. Hiring freezes are happening. It's a very unsure time. There is some ambiguity in the world around us today. At least let there be clarity on what we're delivering in our day-to-day jobs and get us motivated to be able to do that. That's an important thing. What one thing would you like our listeners to leave with today on our topic of setting expectations? The one thing I would encourage people to do is when setting expectations, really honing in on what is the, you know, what is the overarching goal that you want to achieve personally and for the organization and to ensure that the goal is something that you can measure. It's something that's articulated clearly. And it's also something that you personally believe you can achieve the necessary tools to help your team achieve the desired results in a way that motivates them and inspires them and makes them feel they're part of a, a bigger, uh, the bigger picture, for, for instance, of, of the organization, of your team. They're just part of the, the ultimate success of what's going on in the organization. Ellen Miller at Empowers. Excellent topic. We want to thank you for joining 52 Weeks of Empowerment. I know I've learned a lot today. I know you've truly empowered our listeners as well. Thank you so much. Great to be here. We will be here next week. Same time, same place, even more power. Mm -hmm.